I'm so excited about this. Jesus has reconnected heaven and earth for those who follow him. He's restoring the Garden of Eden dynamic, a partnership between the Creator and us. The lid is off, my friend. We have such potential in Christ. Let's not miss out. Hey there, this is Brian Del Turco. You're listening to Jesus Smart, the podcast, episode number 58. The conviction here is that Jesus knows how life works best right now. The future is his, and it's starting to show up in the present. My friend, I'm motivated to bring you this dialogue with David Ramos about Magnetic Faith, his brand new book just released on March 12th. It is loaded This conversation is loaded. Even if you break it up into chunks, you're going to want to catch all the content in our dialogue. I mean, come on. I know you're binging on Netflix or Amazon Prime out there. We can do a little binging on the stuff that really registers and moves the needle in our lives and work, right? Now, everyone has heard about the secret, but can I say that it's an inferior counterfeit belief system to authentic magnetic faith? as we learn from Christ, as we progressively follow him and develop in him as an apprentice of the kingdom. Jesus has more for you. This is what David is saying. He has more for you, and he's looking for more exciting things from us as he restores all things. He's remaking creation, and he invites us into the mix. If you think that Christ is boring, you just don't understand him and what he's up to. Visit RamosAuthor.com, R-A-M-O-S Author.com. Get on his email list, follow him on the socials, grab his brand new book. It's already making a dent, but grab his book, maybe get five copies and spread them around. It's that good. It's a great conversation with David. Let's get right to it. I am excited to welcome to the podcast today, David Ramos, and he is a new acquaintance, and I think probably going to be an emerging friend, David, through another contact. David is a Christian author, and he has uh, a new book that's coming out that I'm very excited about called Magnetic Faith. And David uh, has a bachelor's degree in classical studies and medieval studies. Sounds like an interdisciplinary degree there, right, David? Yep. Classical and medieval, and then also a master's degree in biblical studies from Ashland Theological Seminary. David, welcome today. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for having me here, Brian. I'm very excited to talk to you about lots of different things today. (laughs) Yeah, I think we're going to get into a flow state and uh, have a synergistic conversation here. David has a new book coming out, Magnetic Faith. And um, David, first fill us in just a little bit about your background, your personal background, And um, it helps just to understand an author, you know, where they're coming from. Exactly. Well, thanks again so much, Brian, for having me on the show. Um, It's always cool to meet like-minded people, especially who are from Ohio. Yeah. So much respect. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So kind of a little background about me. Like you said, I did my undergrad in classics. Um, That was a big, you know, I started as an engineer long story short, I jumped through a number of different colleges and ended up finishing with that degree, primarily because through my reading, you know, that's what C.S. Lewis studied. He studied a lot of the classic works. And I was like, well, Mm. if I'm going to take this writing thing seriously, 
it doesn't hurt to get some of that stuff. Even though when you tell people you have a bachelor's in classics, you know, they look at you as like, you're very unemployable. <laughs> but, the li- the liberal arts area, right? That's qu- quite a jump exactly. from engineering, quite a jump from engineering to classics, isn't it? Yes, it was a, got a lot of judgmental stares. Um, and well, still do. <laughs> I'm a big advocate of the liberal arts myself. I think a lot of people have been talking about how we've been, you know, the liberal arts have been waning and it's not such a good thing. It's been hurting us as a culture. On to your uh, master's degree in biblical studies. Was there a concentration in that area? Yes. So uh, my concentration was Old Testament, even though I ended up doing my capstone on the book of Luke, which is another long story. Okay. (laughs) Um, Okay. But I love, probably my favorite book of the Bible is Job. And so that's the book I've spent the most time in, just learning the the history and rhythm of that book and then how it plays out in so many other streams in scripture. Um, I just, that's one of my places. I love the Old Testament. I just want the modern church and the modern Christian to kind of grab hold of what's there in a deeper way. And that's kind of an underlying current of my writing. Mm, Interesting. There's actually a trend line in the church today. It seems um, a controversial trend line with some people saying that we don't need to pay so much attention to the Old Testament or maybe mm-hmm. the Ten Commandments or the law. Are you are you following that controversy? What are your thoughts in general on that? <laughs> I, gosh, that we, we could do a whole other episode. On yeah, the I bet. Um, my, I follow bits and pieces of it. I think you know you have to find the people who are doing it well, who know how to contextualize these truths. And yeah, we could go in so many directions with that. But basically, yes, the Old Testament has a lot to say. For where we are, especially for where we are now. And when you go back to it, you know, the Bible Jesus was reading and teaching out of was the Old Testament. Sure was. Yeah. He, he didn't have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Like those weren't written until after he was all done breaking things down for people. Like, sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, he said, I've come to fulfill the law. I've not come to abolish it. And I think it, yeah, we could, we could, we could, that is a big old rabbit hole that we may never come out of if we go down that hole. <laughs> so let's just stick, let's just stick with your book coming out, Magnetic Faith, right now in, uh, in March. So, like, how long have you walked with the Lord, David? What's your uh, testimony? This is a good story. I mean, I grew up in a Christian home, for better or worse. <laughs> Some people think okay. that as a detriment to yeah. your faith as an adult. Um, and it, you know, was not uh, the safest home. There was abuse and there was negativity and there was a lot of destructive things that for better or worse kind of tied in with, um, how I saw my faith in parts. So my faith became my own when I was about eight years old. And then I say my faith basically broke down when I was 18. Um, Mm. yeah, that's when I kind of went not my own way, but I just said, I don't think I need the God part in my life anymore. Like, let's do this without it. Um, obviously that didn't last very long. God kind of ringed me back in and, um, in my mid twenties, that's when kind of my faith was renewed alongside my desire to write. And ever since then, like me writing is probably the best expression of my faith. Like my, you know, I write these books primarily for myself, primarily to work out what God is teaching me, where okay. God is leading me, yeah. and so on. Yeah, yeah, it's not uncommon for that those years, like 18 to 24, for people to um, take their faith apart and put it back together again, is it? Exactly. Yeah, excellent. What What about your sense of your calling to write? How have you processed that? How, how, how early did you know you wanted to write? How has that unfolded for you? Yeah, my I've started writing 
mostly fan fiction and fun things in high school. Um, it was, you know, again, kind of therapeutic, just working through things I didn't have another outlet for, um, especially things related to how I saw the world, how I saw myself, faith, and so on. Mm -hmm. um, and then, again, when I refound my faith kind of in my mid-20s, the writing just came naturally with that. And that's when I started blogging and so on. And about two years into blogging, and I started to see, okay, I have these thoughts that I need. I need feedback on. I need people to interact with me. And so I put out my first self-published book in 2015. You know, that was kind of just where it snapped together. Like, okay, this, this is more than a hobby. This is more than a random thing that has kind of swerved in and out of my life. This is something I need to do. And then what that's going to look like, you know, the scope to which God is going to take it, that's kind of out of my hands. But I know, I know where I need to be faithful with this. Okay. So you first published in 2015 and, and how many books have you written to date? Um, <laughs> that's a good question. I think right now on Amazon, there's uh, 12 or 14 that are available. I actually took two or three of them down that I wrote previously, but they, you know, going back and reading your early books, you're like, this isn't very good. <laughs> but, but I think to date about 15 to 17 books that I've written. 15 that that's incredible. I mean since 2015 that that is quite a like pace of work. I mean how are you ah we can talk about that. How are you doing that? That's incredible. Yeah, uh, I don't do much else. <laughs> Just ask my wife. <laughs> okay. I mean you you have a career, right? In education yes. and yet mm -hmm. you're doing this as well. Uh sort of a second yep. career or a parallel career. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. So your your new book that's coming out Magnetic Faith um David what what motivated you to write this book? Is there any sort of personal background or experience that you would like to share, which which, which prompted you to write this book? Yeah, so um, kind of back backdrop for this. For the past eight years, I've been doing the practice of picking a verse or a passage for the year and oh. kind of doing a deep dive into that. Okay. Um, and so all the way back, it had to be 2010, 2011, the verse for the year I picked was Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Mm. And um, ever since then, more than any of the other verses for the year that I picked, that one has just kind of stuck with me in a deeper way. And so fast forward to 2018, um, I had this kind of health crisis where um, I ended up being on short-term disability leave from work for about four months. Mm. And, you know, during that time, obviously it was horrible. Now that it's, I can kind of look back, I can see, you know, God was pulling up a lot of just false beliefs and false identities that I had let fester just, you know, because life moves fast and you don't usually have an opportunity to step back and really examine what has gotten you to this point. And mm. unfortunately, it took a sickness for me to be able to do that. But, you know, during my time kind of dissecting what had gotten me up to that point in my life, um, God brought that Colossians 3 passage back into my mind. And I started to see this pattern in it, this kind of framework for how Paul wanted us to see okay. everything. Okay. Yeah. You well, know, and that kind of builds the triangle. I'm sure we'll go into what yeah, the triangle we're gonna talk about actually that for is. Yeah for, um, yeah, for sure. But yeah, so that's kind of what came out of it. I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to take all these things I was learning, um, 
you know, through biblical sources and, you know, quote unquote, secular sources about how important our words and habits and mindset are and look through a biblical lens of how these are supposed to fit together so that, you know, we can become everything we're supposed to be, but for the glory of God in a way that Jesus intended. So a lot of these ideas are sort of out there in the world, aren't they, apart from Christianity or apart from Christ, right? Like words or mindsets or habits. Uh, Do you feel that, I mean, I've often thought about this, like like in Anthony Robbins, for example, um, Mm -hmm. sometimes you read Anthony Robbins and it's almost like you see kingdom principles in what he's saying. And yet Uh. we, we know that his worldview is not, probably not a kingdom worldview, like we would hold, he's not. It's not a Christocentric worldview, but he's somehow tapping into these universal principles, or, or mm-hmm. right, which uh, you, which work. Yeah, you're hitting the nail on the head. So I'm gonna. You can stop me, but I'm gonna go off on a little tangent here. So okay, go over right We I'm in a um, Bible, not a Bible study. I'm in a book group and a book club with about eight people, half of them are pastors, half of them are not. And we just finished N.T. Wright's biography of Paul. Okay. Um, you know, it's a big book, but it's very accessible. And one of the arguments or kind of streamlines through there is that Paul is like the goal of Paul's writing is not so much to teach us what to think, but to teach us how to think, hmm. how to think like Christ. And so in the same way, I think, you know, we, you know, if you will, if you believe this, that all real truth is actually God's truth. Mm-hmm. And so when these other people, secular, even other religions and so on, are tapping on this streamline of truth, what they're doing on what they're doing is basically, you know, hitting one of those gold veins that leads back to Jesus, that leads back to the kingdom. And our job as Christians is not to go around so much telling people that they're wrong. It's more so to find these gold veins that they're hitting because these are things they've already believed and to highlight, say, yes, this is right, but you're you're believing this or this is true because it leads back to the kingdom, because it leads back to Jesus. And so, you know, for the Tony Robbins or the other motivational speakers and so on, like the way to evangelize in the 21st century, I think this is why, this is why it's a tangent, is <laughs> basically because I think the church needs to better do a better job of seeing where the world has gotten it right and then helping them pivot to see how that points back to Jesus. And mm-hmm. that's the goal of kind of this whole magnetic faith thing is to pull these pieces of, okay, the world is telling us to have a certain identity. Where is that true and how can we make that better? Or the world is telling us how important it is to have a mindset. All right, what does Jesus say about that? How does that fit into what he wants us to be? Or they talk about, you know, um, the power of our words and how that shapes our lives. Okay, we see the same thing in Scripture. Yeah. Now, how does that all tie in together to, again, in Colossians, that's Paul. And I think Paul, again, he's using that framework to show us how more so than what, so that today, 2,000 years later, we can use the same tools he was using and use them in our own context in an attractive way that shows people the message of Jesus, the, the coming kingdom, is just as relevant, if not more relevant, because now we have more tools and more context on how to use the message to 
expound and expand the kingdom that Jesus has given us. Hmm. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, that does make sense. There's a lot there, and I'm sure some of that's going to be, we can try to unpack some of that today. That is excellent. Well, We'll come back to that. I got a few more questions related to that, but we'll we'll come back to that area because, uh, yeah, we'll just pace ourselves, try to pace ourselves yeah. accordingly here. Yeah, you know, I think of like when uh, Jesus asked Peter, who do people say that I am out there? He was talking about his own identity, you know, the identity of Christ. What are people saying about me? And there was a lot of confusion, of course. Some were saying this. I think the disciples listed three or four things that people were saying about who Jesus was. Right. And then And then Jesus goes, but who do you say that I am? And then Peter has this, really, a revelation from the Father. Jesus said as much that you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, you know, you're the Son of God. And, you know, you're blessed, Peter, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, the Father. And then he looks at Peter and says, but I, and I say unto you that you are, you are Peter, you are Petros, a smaller stone. Mm -hmm. And um, he speaks to Peter's identity. And so do you see there that as we come to Christ through his word and through the spirit, and as we learn more about the identity of Christ, that right back reflected at us is our own identity that comes from exactly. the Lord. And, yeah. and, and we really help, from a Christian worldview, from a Jesus worldview, we really discover more of the depth and texture of who we are as we uh, discover and know Christ more. Yeah, Brian, that's exactly it. I think, um, so kind of thinking through this question, um, you know, we, in a secular context, I'll kind of compare the two. In a secular context, we ourselves are the beginning point, right? So we see the world through our own identity, for better or worse. Mm, and yeah. that's, you know, that's basically, my wife is a sociologist. Like, that's what she's done her undergrad and master's in. Okay. And so she understands, like, how all those pieces fit together to create the lens through which we see the world. That's why it's important to understand someone's, um, you know, racial history, financial history, and so on, because all those things shape it. What Christ is saying, especially, like, in this little um, Peter episode in Matthew, is that the starting point needs to be Jesus. So how you see Jesus starts to become your lens and then from that lens you start to see yourself and then through that you start to see the world so the starting the starting point has to shift so that's i love that scene in matthew because peter you know he's probably wondering you know what am i going to do like what's my piece in this whole puzzle and jesus is like what about me what's your focus look at me who am i who am i and so i think if we can get that same you know, question, line of questioning in our mind. When we're, when we're feeling stuck or unsure or whatever, we should be asking, who is Jesus? Who do I say that he is? And then use that to be the lens for everything else. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a dynamic that comes right back to us. The Lord is very much interested in our identity as well, right? Who, whom he's exactly. created us to be and how mm-hmm. we fit into the, the grander narrative, the big story that he's unfolding. I love that. You know, when I think of the Garden of Eden, I think of like, you know, it seems that the Lord came down routinely and walked with Adam and Eve in the in the cool of the day. Right. And what was happening there? Well, we could probably speculate by faith that learning about each other and conversing, but maybe coaching and mentoring about how about their identity and how they could fulfill their calling. Right. To expand Mm -hmm. this dominion of the garden across the earth. And but of course, all that was lost 
through disobedience and rebellion, but now it's reestablished, reconnected through Christ. Mm-hmm. And so I just see that dynamic as uh, being sort of reactivated, identity, calling, destiny. I think we've limited, you know, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. We've Perhaps we be interested in your thought on this. Have we have we seen that too narrowly? Like, okay, you're lost, and so Jesus comes and finds you, and He's going to take you to heaven. But uh. <laughs> is He, you know, is He coming to find you to reestablish you in your place and in your calling and in in, in the story that has been compromised, right, because of sin? Yeah. Oh man, gosh, yeah, that's a really good question, Brian. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we got to do like. The I'm sure you got again. something to say about this. Go right ahead. <laughs> yeah, the kingdom is a whole other topic about how we kind of, you know, again, uh, N.T. Wright is a big influence on me, and he, you know, how he sees the kingdom of then versus now mentality. Um, so, anyways, let me yeah. get back to the yeah, I love N.T. Wright. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So basically, yeah, I think we've. For better or worse, I think Christianity has become a little bit of an escapist mentality. Like we think Jesus is coming to take us out of blank, mm-hmm. you know, and that has shaped basically how we evangelize and the gospel we believe and how we, you know, working all the way down the line, how we treat the earth. All these things are impacted by the idea that we think we're leaving mm-hmm. when Jesus comes, um, where I think you know, going back to the Garden of Eden example that you're using, um, you know, our, our identity is very much influenced by our location, right? So where we are geographically, you and me here in Ohio. Um, but then I want us for the Christian, for those who have a spiritual mindset, our identity is influenced by our cosmic location, right? By our relationship to the rest of creation. Okay. And so Jesus, God is at the top of it, and in that Garden of Eden, there's this very intimate physical location because he was right there, mm-hmm. but also a very intimate cosmic location. We were, you know, these image bearers of God very close to our creator. And then when sin came, that broke something that made our location far, that made our location distant. And so because of that, our identity had to shift. Our identity became about this distance from God, about the separation that had to be bridged. Okay. Fast forward, yeah, to when Jesus came, he broke the powers, the evil powers that were, and what he did was bridge that gap between what was once that intimate location between us. So again, the kingdom is here. Jesus is here with us. Our cosmic location has been restored. We are now, you know, maybe we can't with our, the limited five senses we have, we can't see God. We can't see Jesus right here, but the spirit is already here. The cosmic location has been restored. We are already everything we need to be for God to move and build the kingdom that is right now expanding. Yeah, so N.T. Wright would see the Garden of Eden as really emergence of heaven and earth, right? Exactly. Sort of an overlapping of heaven and earth. Mm-hmm. And so that was ruptured through sin, but now restored in Christ. But we have to have our minds renewed to that, right? Exactly. We've, uh, I think we've had an insufficient view of some of these things, and I, I really love N.T. Wright and others who are helping us with that, reestablishing mm-hmm. more of a kingdom worldview. Man, I love that. 
So exactly. <laughs> so so what are you hoping? Um, what's what's the big picture takeaway that you want for the reader? Uh, who is this book for, and what are you hoping they take away from it? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I mean, first of all, the book was kind of for myself. All my writing is selfish as I'm working it out. But uh, you know, for real, my my book is for the Christian as I write in the, like the first page, who isn't afraid to want. You know, I was having this conversation with a pastor, one of my pastors, last week. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, not complaining, but he was kind of like talking out loud. And he was like, most of my job is actually giving people permission. Like, yeah, you have permission to do that if you feel God is leading you. Or yeah, you have permission to forgive that person or to forgive yourself. Or you have permission to ask God for that and just go for it and see. Um, And so as he was saying that, I'm like, yeah, that's what I want this book to be more than anything. I want it to be basically a permission slip to say, yes, like God wants more for you and from you and for you to do more in the world. And thinking, you know, I have a quote on my wall that I basically look at every day and it's by Marianne Williamson. It says, your playing small does not serve the world. Mm. And I think that's infinitely more important for Christians to believe because we have, you know, our our purpose here in life in life is so much more than just to be happy and just to live a good 70 years. Like we're literally reshaping the world into the image that God intended. That is a magnificent calling. Yes. And we are going to have to do uncomfortable things to achieve that. We're going to have to do things that require us to risk that require us, Christians won't like this, to be wrong, that require us to move in directions and to build things that are going to offend the world and sometimes other Christians because we have to follow Jesus first and foremost, and we're not going to get it right 100% of the time. And that's okay. That's part of the process. Um, And so that's what I want more than anything. I want this book to be a permission slip to help people live in their faith in a greater way. Wow. What a CTA for the reader, right? A call to action. Man, that is wonderful. Now, what do you mean by magnetic, faith being magnetic? What do you, it sounds like a simplistic question, but what, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, this is, yeah, this is probably the question I get the most about the book. You know, to really grasp everything, what I, what I mean by that word, you have to read the whole book. But to, if I could get like these little high points of it, okay, what yes. I mean by magnetic is that your faith, when I say magnetic faith, I mean confident faith expectant faith, hope-filled faith, and consequential faith. Your faith should be doing something in the world and causing something in the world. Um, There's this this quote by John Piper that I love um, that kind of captures this idea, or at least parallels it. Mm -hmm. Um, He says, prayer causes something to happen which would not have otherwise happened if you didn't pray. And so that's what I mean when I say magnetic faith, like your faith should do something or pull something out of God. Again, the the language here is limiting, but to pull something into the world, which would not have come about if you did not have faith. Mm. So it must be, and I think this would fit into your Christian worldview, I assume you tell me if I'm right or wrong, that (laughs) as far back as Eden, that principle there, there's, there's a partnership between heaven and earth, right? Amen. There's mm-hmm. a partnership thing. There are things that will not happen without partnership 
right? Exactly. You know, there are things that should be happening that aren't happening. There are things that are happening that should be stopped. Mm -hmm. You know, I I see that as sort of the binding and loosening language that Jesus spoke about. He said, we've been given the keys of the kingdom. We have power to forbid and to permit things to to happen, largely through prayer. I think John Piper, that is such an excellent quote. Mm -hmm. And And I know Piper would go further. He would probably say that there's also prayer born activity that flows out of prayer, you know, that, that, that we, that we move in that um, binds and and loosening and permits things and starts things, stops things in alignment. But, but it's, it's just, I think we've, I think many Christians have underestimated this idea of partnership between heaven and earth. We have a very passive sort of a laissez faire attitude, would you say? Oh yeah. If it's meant to happen, God and his sovereignty will make it happen. And we have a very sort of an inactive um, approach to it. Yeah, that is probably one of my biggest pet peeves. I mean, for my for myself too, but also for the Christian community at large. Like we um yeah, gosh. So basically we have made waiting on God the default. Whereas I think the opposite is true in scripture. I think there are so many verses in the Bible about waiting because those were those were not the norm. God had to keep breaking in to tell people, wait, I'm going to do something now. Okay. And then he was and so I think there's so many verses on wait because people were so active whether they were moving in the right direction all the time, obviously they're not, we're human. But the point is, you know, God wants to steer objects that are in motion. He doesn't want Christians that are sitting on their hands praying for something to happen and then are frustrated that nothing is changing the world. Like, that's not how change comes about. We have to be pushing and pulling the things that we want to see happen into reality through our faith, through our actions, through our mindsets and so on. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think Bill Johnson says something like at some point we're going to have to believe in our own conversion. And, Mm -hmm. and what he follows up with that is that, look, as you begin to develop the mind of Christ and there's perhaps other authors speaking into this as well, but you're going to have to start trusting your instincts, your sense of intuition, your desires, and, and, and trust that, you know what, Jesus is getting into the mix in your own thoughts. Mm-hmm. And, and many times we think things and feel things and desire things, and we're tempted to feel, well, well, that's just maybe me, but we underestimate that Jesus is getting in the mix, and he's thinking and feeling those things with you on the exactly. inside, and wants you to begin to move on it in faith. Uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, so I wrote a book on purpose two years ago, and I made this cool diagram, so I'll have to send it to you so that okay, you can good. share it. Yeah. Um, but basically, we have so much freedom when it comes to our calling and purpose in the world. I think we have let the idea of God's plan for our life become a limitation when that's a, it was supposed to be the exact opposite. Mm. It was like, when we talk about God's plan, you know, it's supposed to be, I, you know, there are obviously specifics in it. So don't, I hope people don't hear that, that I'm saying God doesn't have any specific things for you to do. That's sure. not what I'm saying. No. I'm saying, you know, the plan God has for you is first and foremost, this broad default of love and goodness. And, you know, he wants you to be this unique 
individual creation in the world that can do something that only you can do and that can bring him a unique type of worship and glory. And that like, again, going back to John Piper, you know, God is most satisfied or most satisfied. We are most, oh gosh, I'm messing up the quote now. You know, the desiring (laughs) God quote, you know, God is most uh, glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And so kind of expound that into our purpose, you know, God is most satisfied when what we are doing, um, when that thing we're doing is bringing us the most joy and bringing the most good to the world. I think one thing that the church can do better, um, you know, there's kind of this division between how much of our Christianity should be theological and how much of our Christianity should be pro-social, you know, Mm -hmm. should we spend more time doing marches and more time exegeting scripture? And, you know, I think, especially when you look at people like Paul who were doing the how so well, or going back to like the Abraham or the Moses, the movement makers, the people who brought the people of God into a new era, they were doing both yeah, you know, it's a pra- it's saw, a it's a, it's a practical theology, isn't it? That, that really exactly. works out in a concrete way. Yeah, like like MLK Jr. He's probably the the most recent modern day prophet who worked so hard at understanding the scriptural context of why slavery was not a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was the motivation for his movement in the modern world. It wasn't you can't divide the two like. Yeah, I, I see these people who are marching or arguing for really good things and then just haven't done the deep work that's necessary to make it a true movement. Or the people who are preaching beautiful sermons and writing beautiful books and then not doing the other half of that, which is actually making real change in the world. Because, you know, especially when you start to believe that the kingdom is a here and now thing, how you treat your fellow brother and sister in the world, not just brothers and sisters in Christ, but other human beings in the world Mm -hmm. and the world itself, that becomes immensely important to how God sees, like the coming kingdom is a now thing. And so how we play out our theology has to have an effect on our daily lives. I think we need to see it like, um, I think George Eldon Ladd talks about this, the theologian who taught at Fuller. He would mm. he would flow right with N.T. Wright on this, that there's an overlapping of the ages that, yes. you know, for the, for the ecclesia, for the church, that the kingdom of God, as we no, kind of normally think of it, the fullness of the kingdom coming at the second coming of Christ, that we're already foretasting it now, and it's overlapped into our time within the people of God. We certainly need to be empowered with that. And, you know, it's a big sandbox that we can play in, if we could put it that way, a big, yes. a big playground, a big earth. And we've been so tethered. It's like a, I don't know, you take that baby elephant and you tie him to a <laughs> stake and then you, he grows up and he just can't, he doesn't feel he has freedom, you know, even though mm-hmm. the thing is gone. Um, That's so good. Just so much here. And I, I really feel David that we're in a season where there's more of an awakening within the church to this kingdom theology mm-hmm. that's that's along the lines of, of what N.T. Wright is talking about. 
people of God being a prophetic voice, salt and light, beginning to act and move now and not just wait for the coming of the Lord. You have your book uh, basically structured, and I, and I guess this comes out of the Colossians 3 passage, right? You're saying that was so so core to all of this, but identity, right. mindset, habits, and words seems to be the basic framework of your book that's coming out in March. And um, yes. I've, I've had the church chance to survey it, look at parts of it, and look look forward to reading it in more depth. But um, yeah, what do you mean by this basic framework? You've you've teased that out of Colossians three. Is, is, is that what you're saying? Yes. So um, again, kind of tying it into the kingdom discussion we're just having. The framework here is to help us have that permission to do that kingdom work and to be everything we need to accomplish that. Okay. Um, so the framework again is. I shaped it as a triangle. So on the bottom, if people can kind of imagine in their mind's eye or go look at your show notes, I can send you a, um, a picture of it. So okay. it's basically a triangle with a small triangle on the inside and a larger one surrounding it. And at the very bottom of the inner triangle is identity because that's our foundation. That's where everything has to start from. Um, Mm -hmm. from there uh, above that is our mindset. So our identity influences the thoughts and beliefs we carry. And from there, our mindset influences our habits, not just the one time actions we take, but the habitual actions that shape our lives and our character and the world around us. Right. So our identity flows to our mindset, mindset to our habits, and then out of our habits, but also can kind of bringing the entire triangle together are our words because our words are twofold. They're both the kind of revelation of who we are, you know, kind of from the the depth our mouth speaks, um, but they're also the shaper of who we are. Yes. And so the words have this twofold power to both reveal and to create. We'll get to words quickly, but would you say that we underestimate the power of words? Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> it's just like a rhetorical uh, question. I, that's a softball there. I just, I just tossed yeah, you there, David. Knife that out. Yeah. I mean, a few, a few years ago, and this ties into a lot of things. But a few years ago, I started. You know, as a writer, I take what I'm writing very seriously. But it wasn't giving that same attention to what I was speaking. And so, especially like the last two years, in, in particular, I've been trying to pay attention to like, you know, my my words that I'm speaking are going out into the world just as much as a published book is going out into the world. Oh my goodness. And they're going to be examined. They're going to affect something. They're going to create something. And so, you know, if I, if I'm going to spend two hours writing two pages, cause I want to get this idea right. Then I, I don't need to spend that much time. I should spend a lot more time or be a lot more aware of sure. what I'm letting come out of my mouth. Oh, so you're saying we're all publishers. Exactly. I mean, we are, we are publishing constantly with our thoughts and our heart set and our words, right? Exactly. Wow. Like that's, just, that's just how it is. It, it, it is. That's the basic reality of things. Are you familiar with Dallas Willard and his book, um, Divine Conspiracy? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he talks a lot in there about that. He asks a question. I think it's in that book, or maybe it's in one of his earlier books about, yeah, it might be in that one, developing a conversational relationship with God, I think, which is you know, hearing God through, through, through relationship. But exactly. he says, well, you know, what's, what's wrong with the universe that's created with world words and that, you know, it's <laughs> up, up, upheld by words and shaped by words and, and you know, and, and what's wrong with a worldview that actually understands that our thoughts and our words matter and affect things. And, yeah. it, it, you know, 
if you get deep enough into a biblical worldview, you understand that that is sort of coded into all of reality. It's mm-hmm. it's built by words. It's upheld by words. The words of God, but us created in His image, we also have great power to shape or to destroy things uh, through through words. James James chapter three. But we'll get to that maybe. Amen. We will. Yeah. But um, okay. So 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 your framework is the the foundation piece is identity. And then mindset flows out of that. And then our habitual lifestyle, our habits flow out of our mindset, right? How we think, how we feel. And then words, the critical importance mm-hmm. of words sort of as a capstone. Or, or really, you have it in your diagram as a sort of an all-enveloping, uh, surrounding-filled, right, words. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. I, I would appreciate that diagram. And we can drop that on the show notes page. I would encourage you to go to the show notes page for each episode, including this one, because what you'll often find there, more often than not, are additional resources and things that, that you can see visually. And we'll, we'll definitely drop that diagram there. And, cool. you know, as well as information about David, how to contact him, his pending book release and all of that. So we live from this new nature, right? Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you said something in that section about that you called it, did you call it thought journaling or how, how important is personal writing in this process, like journaling or, or writing yeah. affirmations? So again, uh, I might be a little biased as a writer. I just think writing is one of the best human things a person can do. Um, I'm, I'm with you on that. Everybody should be writing something, I think, but go right ahead. Exactly. Um, I think kind of twofold, um, you know, writing, first of all, helps you become aware of the thoughts you're carrying. You know, so often we have these things that are just kind of ingrained in us and we know they're there, but we don't really consciously know they're there. So when we take the time to, you know, one of the things I've done a lot over the years is write out my prayers or write out, um, you know, I have right now a few different tools. I have a gratitude journal. I have Evernote, which I use for writing notes. And I have field notes, which are small, kind of like, I think they're four inches by two inches journals. And that's just kind of little notebooks. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, little pocket notebooks. Um, And I just write out everything else that comes in my mind. And what you start to see is first, um, you can be aware of the thoughts you're thinking so that you can actually examine them and see, you know, are those things helping me or hurting me? You'll see things that you didn't know were there. And you'll hopefully see good things that you didn't know were there either. Um, and then with that, over time, you're going to start to notice patterns. And that's kind of the second big piece is you want to understand the the. I mean, pattern, but you want to see the flow of your thoughts yep. and then you want to consciously work towards directing that flow in the direction you want your life to go. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you don't see the patterns, um, you can be sort of lost in your thoughts and not realize, right? Exactly. How they could be affecting you for the good or more often for the bad. Yeah. So I think that writing is very critical. It just helps you to articulate how you're thinking and I mean, research is actually saying that there's powerful things that happen when we write. Mm-hmm. Um, it deeply imprints our, our mind. Uh, there's research about goals, that if you write your goals out or even your affirmations and then speak them after writing them, that there's just much more success, impact from from your thoughts versus just keeping it in your head, right? Right. It just kind of ties in with that word, you know, the speech we were talking about. Like your words are effectual whether they're spoken or written, like your words have this power and they need to come out. Like your thoughts are a separate thing than your words. So you might be thinking these things that you want to have happen or that you want to see change or so on. But when you 
take that next step of writing them down or speaking them out, that does something in God's created order that wouldn't otherwise happen. Excellent. I'm telling you, friend, you need to really capture some of these ideas. I have such (laughs) deep resonance on some of these ideas, and you're going to have to work it. And you'll be resisted on it, right, David? There will be a resistance, which if you begin to move into these waters, which is where things start to happen, you know, intentionality, um, writing things out, speaking them, praying them, beginning to move in them, there will be resistance. But there are things you will not get into without it. Um, So, David, what what do you mean about mindset? Mindset, you're saying, flows out of identity. What's your shorthand for mindset? That's a great question. I mean, mindset has to do with the framework of your beliefs. Um, You know, there's a difference between your thoughts and beliefs. Your thoughts are basically ideas that flow in and out of your head. You know, some of them come from you, some of them come from outside. But your beliefs are these things that you take ownership of, for better or worse. You might have beliefs that you don't want to have, but through some means, you know, whether it was your upbringing or Mm -hmm. your immediate influences in your life, like you've taken some sort of ownership over these beliefs. And these have come together to create the mindset that you carry around. Um, And so, you know, kind of shifting your mindset is as simple as recognizing what beliefs you've taken ownership of and either choosing to keep those or choosing to take ownership of different beliefs and allow that to reshape the framework of how you see the world. Yeah. Yeah. We're different than the animals. We can sort of, uh, if we're intentional, stand outside of ourselves and think about how we think, right? Exactly. And, and, and sort of become aware of that and see how that could be hurting or helping us. Um, and so the mindset now, you know, the scripture says, Paul says, we have the mind of Christ mm-hmm. is is the mind of Christ something that is sort of static or is it something that we grow and develop into progressively in your view? This is a good question. (laughs) I think, um, man. So let me, let me tell you an analogy or one of my favorite movie scenes and then we'll kind of tie it into the Christ mind that I think is appropriate. Um, so I'm a huge kind of sci-fi fan. One of my favorite movies of all time is the matrix. Oh Um, yes. Yeah. And so it's just, it's such a good movie on so many levels. <laughs> yeah, there's the a lot reason, there. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot there. Um, so there's a scene where the main character, Neo, is fighting basically his mentor, Morpheus. And they're in this um, digital digital world, right? Okay. And so for the people who haven't seen which it's 2018. You should have seen The Matrix by now. Yeah, your, <laughs> your culture, I don't want to offend you, but you're sort of culturally illiterate if you haven't seen The Matrix yet. No, right? <laughs> we encourage you to see The Matrix. Yeah. You'll, you will see okay. Kingdom stuff in The Matrix, won't you? I mean, exactly. oh my goodness, it's loaded. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. So there's a scene where they're fighting in this, I'm going to say make-believe, but it's basically a digital um, gym, um, fighting gym, and Morpheus is kicking Neo's butt. Like he's moving so much faster. He's so much stronger. He's training him, right? Yeah. 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 And it's just, you know, the fight is really interesting to watch, but you're just seeing Neo, you know, really lose this battle. And so, you know, they kind of, Neo, um, Morpheus kicks him to the ground and he's asked, he asks him like, you know, what, what are you doing? Why was I able to beat you? And Neo tells him, you know, you're faster, you're stronger. You're just better at this. And Morpheus reminds him, he's like, you know, this isn't real. We're in a digital landscape. 
you know, everything here is what we've created. Like your only limitation is what you think is possible. You're, you're already faster than this. Now just do it. And so, you know, the second half of the battle unfolds and Neo is moving faster than anyone has ever seen. And he ends up pinning Morpheus, his mentor, on the wall and basically winning that round. And I think that's such a good kind of analogy of, you know, the, the struggle we have between belief and, and mindset. Like, we, we are in this world that has told us what the limitations are. You know, we look around and say, okay, well, maybe God can't do this, or maybe this is impossible, or whatever. And when we come to Scripture, Jesus is trying to break that. He's saying, you are faster than this. And basically, he's saying, no, like, I walked on water, and you're going to do greater things. And when he's saying things like, you know, speak to this mountain, and it'll move if you yeah. believe. Like, the, we, we've done such a... We've made these so Christianese where now they're just nice things to put on a, a postcard or send to someone when they're sick. And we've forgotten, like, no, he's literally trying to remake the world. Jesus is remaking his creation, and he's invited us to do that through extraordinary means. I think, um, like— He is restoring all things, and it's begun with us now, you're saying. Amen. Yeah, like— and it's going to be through, yeah, extraordinary means. It's going to be through miracles and through things that we didn't think were possible becoming possible. Yeah. And so oh we my just goodness. have to do more. <laughs> we, we do. And we have to be faster. And I've been working with this thing on speed, and I'm still working with it. But in the spirit, there is speed. There is velocity. Ooh, yeah. And like, I don't know, I... I think in physics, they talk about frequencies and higher frequencies and lower frequencies. And I know that people like Anthony Robbins, and again, I think they may be tapping into some of these kingdom dynamics, but yet it's not within a biblical framework or a biblical worldview. And it's, it's really more about the deification of self than it is about the worship of, of Christ and fitting into really a grander story. I mean, we have such more opportunity. It's such a bigger thing we can be a part of than, (laughs) <laughs> trying exactly. to find a spark of divinity within ourselves or something and talk about higher frequencies, lower frequencies. But <laughs> you know, truly, I mean, there is higher belief levels, higher execution levels in the kingdom, like speaking to a mountain, and it is removed. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll, we'll come to that because we're going to talk about words. But so I, I want to say that the mind of Christ is something that we grow in and develop it, that it is a growth mindset. Is that right? Yeah, I think the growth, I think the Christ mindset is a possibility mindset. Mm-hmm. If I could just narrow it down to one word, it is it is the idea that anything we need, anything we want to bring into the world that is glorifying God, anything that we believe can be possible is possible for the purposes that Christ has intended us to be here for. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Colossians 3 is that big passage you're drawing on, and verse 10 says that we put on this new self. That's sort of a proactive daily application, right? We put on the new self, and it says there that the new self is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Mm -hmm. So that just tells me that the new nature is, is, is even really not static in a sense. It's renewed and it develops, right? Am I right? Yeah. It grows yeah. in its competencies and its character. Right. I don't know. I yeah, think... I... Go ahead. 
Uh, I'm just saying, like, even the word renewed is such a Christian thing. Sometimes we're like, oh, I'm being renewed by the Spirit. I think, you know, we've lost some of its power. A word that I try to use when people, you know, when I'm in these conversations is the word upgraded. Because people understand that in our context. They're like, oh, you upgraded your phone. You upgraded whatever. Mm -hmm. It's better now. It can do more than it used to be able to do. And I want them to internalize that same thing when they're saying, you know, your mind, your body, your habits, they're being renewed by Christ. They're being upgraded. Upgraded. Okay, good. I'm fine with that. (laughs) Bring down the downloads, right? Right. I'll take the updates 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, 7.0. Just bring them on down. Okay. So, so we're, so so identity mindset and then, and then habits, um, habits are action, right? It's movement. It flows out of, um, mindset and identity. Uh, what can you say about that, David? So again, actions are kind of these one-off things that we do. And the reason I call it habits is because I want it to be the the constant of our lives. So Charles Duhigg, is, he's one of those authors who has written a lot on habits. He has the book, The Power of Habit. And yeah. in his research, you know, over 50% of what we do every day is a habit. And so half of our lives are already basically predetermined by the structures we have laid out. And so if we can make our habits good, if we can make the habits that we want to have, the habits that are going to move us in the direction God wants us to move, then that means we're already doing half of the work without even thinking about it every day. And we're moving that much faster, closer to what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah, we can tap the power of momentum, right? Exactly. And faith, you know, James says that faith without works is dead. We could say in a sense that faith is movement. It is activity. It's not just it's not just mental assent, right, right, David? Exactly. It's, yeah. not, it's not just mentally assenting to doctrines or to biblical truths even, but it is movement. Exactly. And um, the Holy Spirit will, will challenge us with that. And then speech is sort of, you'll see in the diagram, go to the show notes page, because the visuals help, right? The graphics help right. with, with understanding <laughs> conceptualization. But you have words or speech sort of enveloping all of this process as a field of, of, of sorts, I guess. Speech, talk about our words. I mean, we know about James chapter 3. We know about Proverbs, death and life, or in the power of the tongue. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how many verses in Proverbs speak to this issue just in that book alone. Right. Yeah, um, I did an exercise once where I sort of color-coded every verse in Proverbs that spoke to that issue, and it was, wow, a lot of color. That'd be tell so you. cool to see. <laughs> yeah, it really, really jumps out at you. But so... It's an important reality, and it's something that the Holy Spirit is trying to imprint upon us through through the Bible, the importance of this. But we, we hurt ourselves, don't we? We hurt, and at times we help ourselves, but it seems like we hurt ourselves a lot in, in this area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we're, so one of the phrases I like to use for words is that they're the binding force of our lives. Did and you say so binding? Binding force? Is that binding? Binding, yeah. okay. What's so that? they're either binding us into what we have already been and don't want to be, or okay. they're helping us bind bind the transformation that Jesus is working in our lives. So we should not be speaking words that are that are aligning with perhaps a current reality that's lower, right? Exactly. But we should be almost speaking in advance or speaking out in front of, right? Somehow. Right. Like we we think gosh, so there's there's a difference between becoming aware Becoming aware with your words is a good thing, but using your words purely for observation is 
ends up being destructive because all you end up doing is repeating what you've already seen and what is already around you. Okay. So you should be using the words primarily to create. And again, we have to understand this like in a Christian context where, you know, like you're, you were talking about before, you know, a lot of these secular authors and writers have used these um, probably without a kingdom mentality. And again, we're using these in the idea that this is in full partnership with Christ. We're speaking things that his spirit is speaking to us yes. and through us. Yes, amen. And so we're as much a part of what he is doing as he is influencing what we do. Yeah. Come on. That's well said. I like that. So, yeah, it's, it's so important. I, I just encourage you to read James chapter 3. I mean, it's probably a familiar passage, but, you know, I was in James 3 recently, David, and I, you know, I I think verse 3 talks about, you know, the bridle and the horse, and you can move this incredible strong animal with just a bridle, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. sort of a... But but then the rudder on the ship, and I just, I just got this, this, this sense of getting in the rudder zone, okay, (laughs) and staying there. I mean, like... Perhaps one of the most important things we can do, hopefully at the top of a day, is spend a few minutes in the rudder zone where we're not only praying, but spending a few minutes speaking out or affirming or decreeing even. Right. Uh, things. I love that. And, and That's it, so good. <laughs> it drops that rudder under the waterline. And without it, I mean, without that rudder under the waterline, you know, and it doesn't matter what our circumstances are, it doesn't matter about other people at that point, you know. I mean, it really doesn't, it doesn't matter what our past patterns have been if we are turning the ship and beginning to, you know, so wow, James chapter three is really, really critical. I I just love all these things. So, so you're saying that these, this template out of Colossians three, was it verses one through, did you say 17? Yeah, one through 17. There's a few obviously that kind of highlight each of the points, but that's the structure. Okay, good. So you've pulled out this, this basic kingdom framework of identity mindset, habits, proactive habits, and then words, which you say are binding forces, right? Which right. create create new uh, opportunities, new new frameworks. And all of this taken together is, is attractional faith? Yeah, I think... Or magnetic faith? Right. I think, um, you know, this is kind of where we can break down. So one of my favorite quotes as we kind of tie up the triangle thing Mm -hmm. is Eugene Peterson. He has a quote about words where he says, we cannot be too careful about the words we use. We start out using them and they end up using us. Oh my goodness. And I think that just ties in the whole triangle. I think all together because the things we bring into our lives end up owning us or, upgrading us or whatever. And so like, we have to be conscious of the identity, mindsets, habits, and words that we allow into our lives, because those are, for better or worse, what are going to shape the life we create in this world. And Jesus has a very specific desire for what those should be and can be so that our lives can be everything he intended them to be. Yes. Wow. I got two more questions for you, David. What is the difference someone may be thinking about this. What is the difference between being attractional, like magnetic faith, attractional mm-hmm. as a Christ follower, and what we might call a counterfeit attractionalism, as in the phenomenon of the secret? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you started to hit it on the head before. Um, it's it's basically coming back to that cosmic location. So in The Secret, which I've read The Secret, I've read these other pieces because I wanted to make sure, you know, am I am I getting too close to these things? <laughs> okay. Um, but basically, it's, the question is, you know, who is God in the situation for um, you know, the secret basically falls under new thought philosophy, mm-hmm. um, which there's a spectrum of, and there are good things and bad things in that whole philosophy, but that's another discussion. Um, but basically it comes down to the fact that you can attract these things into your life because you are God. And so that doesn't fit with what we're doing because that's a false identity yeah. in, in magnetic faith. You can attract these things because you understand your relationship and location in respect to God. And so when we're talking about, you know, being magnetic, attracting and creating with our words and mindset and so on, we are doing so in full partnership and in full submission to the God who is above all of this versus we are the God creating all of this. Yes. I think that, and and I'm going to ask another question too, because you you mentioned new thought. I think new thought metaphysics, I I think it goes back to the late 1800s, early 1900s. And there is some strain of it, which infiltrated into some Christian theology throughout the 20th century, I believe, and perhaps taken to a bit of an extreme or even a selfishness even, or maybe Mm -hmm. sort of drifting away from a Christ-centered or kingdom first centered approach and it becomes more of an American dream thing or something. <laughs> but and, and then you have people who are who are sensitized to that in some way. They're aware of some of that, those abuses. And so they might react against what you're saying here in this book. You know, the pendulum swings way to the other side now. And right. you just you you sort of repel any idea about mindsets or words. But but somehow we have to just pull it back. And I I, I like the way you framed it that who is God, right? And it, and it being Christocentric, kingdom-centric, that's important, isn't it? Not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Exactly. Like, ah, that's you. I mean, that's it right there. Like, we, there is so much freedom in Christ. There is so much freedom in how he wants us to live and work and breathe and believe in this world. And for, you know, you know, I'm, again, generalizing, but Christians, for the most part, have gotten a bad taste in their mouth for anything that doesn't sound exactly like what they have always done. Mm. And so, you know, everyone has, you know, there's what, 40,000 denominations. And Mm -hmm. so everyone has this, you know, very fine tuned ear with, um, that doesn't sound exactly like what I've always heard. So it must not be true or it's making me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when Jesus looked at those 40,000 denominations, you know, personally, I think he's like, yeah, most of them have a lot right, and all of them have something wrong. And the only way you're going to see the picture of what he's doing is to look at every, all of them all together. And so my advice is, you know, I always try to read things that make me uncomfortable, you know, whether they're far on the conservative spectrum or far on the liberal spectrum or far outside the Christian spectrum, because i I want to fine tune the spirit leading in my life. And it's hard to let the spirit lead you when everything around you is just an echo chamber of the same ideas. Ah, an echo chamber. Okay, boom, right there, echo chamber. So, I mean, when we're born again, we're sort of born into maybe a certain denomination or a certain school of thought or, you know, theological thought, a doctrinal system, if you will. Right. And we're sort of, that DNA gets in us really quick right away. We're born again into that. But the question then becomes at some point, 
as you develop in Christ, is the Holy Spirit asking you to to upgrade? Mm-hmm. And, and is he asking you to to add to maybe the sovereign foundations that you've had in your walk with the Lord, but not be limited? So you're stuck in this static, like, sort of like a... Um, I'm thinking of an insect that's caught up in, in amber. What's that called? Like, you know what I'm talking about? You're kind of in, <laughs> right, exactly. you're, you're kind of cocooned in there for life, you know? Uh-huh. And I was talking with Ken Roberts recently on, a, on an episode. He's a life coach, a church consultant now, pastored for over nice. 30 years. And he brought up a really sort of a devastating thought, I think, that I've thought about before. It, it, I, I think it says in, in the Revelation of Jesus Christ, the last book of the New Testament, that or maybe it's an Old Testament prophet, I'm not sure, but he will wipe away their tears. Mm-hmm. And the question is, what what is that? You know, what what are those tears about at that time, you know, in the new heavens, in the new earth, um, on the other side, if you will, if we could put it that way, what, what, what are those? And he was speculating that it could be that we've missed opportunities. We've, oh, we, we didn't live up. <laughs> do you, do you resonate with that at all? We, we, I so we, do. we, didn't live up to the level that Jesus was asking us to. Our beliefs, our, our belief set points were way too low. You know, yeah. our the fruit we were bearing was way too small. We were living that small life you you were talking about earlier. That is a sobering thought mm-hmm. to me. You know, it, it, I mean, thankfully it does say He wipes them away. There will be a healing, but why not? Why not mitigate against that as much as you can, right? Why, why not exactly. run as fast as you can now and go as far as you can with Jesus so that you minimize that 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 sort of unrealized potential? Yeah, one of my one of my favorite verses um, is John sixteen twelve, and so this is Jesus saying, you know, I have much more to say to you, and then the second half of it is more than you can now bear, mm. and it's just like, you know, this. And I think that's a call to the church. I think that's a call to the big C church, the world church, that God always intended the Christian faith to be an unfolding experience. Yes. I think we have we have worked too hard at preserving some things versus exploring everything the Christian faith could mm, be. Yeah. And obviously we've done that for good reasons. <laughs> like the first 300 years of Christian history was trying to fight these heresies. And I think that we did such a good job of doing that for the next 1700 years. We've kind of not let any new ideas in for the most part. Um, and, you know, obviously I like, I hope people again, aren't hearing me wrong. Like there are truths that will never be undone in the Christian faith. Like they're core to everything we believe, but there is this, this mode of exploration and freedom that Jesus wants us to have as Christians. And we need to have a risk mentality. We need to be brave. We need to go and do things for the kingdom that will make us, even ourselves, uncomfortable because they don't fit with the broader scheme of what we have seen. Yeah. And yet deep, deep down, I'm sure we're wired for that. I'm sure we're going to find great joy in that as we wade into those waters, right? As we get into uh, deeper, deeper depths. Yeah. Exactly. So, okay. How can, how can listeners be connected with um, your release? Do you have a target date in March? Is there a specific date? Yeah. So the book will be out on March 12th. 12th. Okay. Yeah. On Amazon. And actually it's only on Amazon for the first three months. That's part of my, when we talked about, 
other things. Um, okay. It's part of my launch strategy. So it's only going to be on Amazon for the first three months. If you're listening to this in the later part of 2019, it may be available on Apple and Barnes and Noble and all that as okay. well. Great. So it's going to be as a uh, as ebooks, right? E- ebook format. Yep, ebook and paperback, and audiobook by the end of the year. Oh, good, good. So you're doing audiobooks already with some of your other works. I am working on it. It's a 2019 project. <laughs> okay, fantastic. You are pumping it out. I, I I know something about the numbers of what you're doing, and um, you, you know, I I just think the listeners need to know that there's some some stuff coming out from this guy, David Ramos, in quantity. Tremendous. So, so what's the best way to stay in contact with you, like your website or social media? Yeah, I mean, the best place I'm on Facebook. So if you just go to Facebook and search David Ramos author, I'll come up. And then my website, if you go to ramosauthor.com, you'll get kind of a free library of three different things I've written and you'll get them um, absolutely for free. Just go into your email and that way you'll be right up to date. I usually send out a weekly newsletter, just kind of detailing behind the scenes of, you know, what I'm working on in my faith, in my writing, and just kind of inviting you in, in a more intimate way. Mm-hmm. And you have an emerging U- YouTube channel, right? Yes, I do. Yeah. That's uh very much a work in progress. And I'm, it's mostly focused for Christian writers right now. So if you're trying to find a way to communicate the story you have to share with the world, definitely go over um, the YouTube channels. Again, David Ramos, author, and you'll find me right away. All right, David. Hey, I, I appreciate your time today. Thanks for all of this. This is exciting. And uh, I think you're pushing on some edges that, you know, theologically there that, that we need. And uh, just excellent, David. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much, Brian. You are an amazing thinker. And so it's really fun to have a conversation with you because you've read the things and you've asked the questions. And so we can really have fun like this. Okay, great. Well, we'll get together with a few others. We'll we'll pull out our pipes and have some C.S. Lewis-like conversation somewhere. No, we won't. There we go. <laughs> I, was, I keep joking about this. I fantasize about pulling out my pipe and having great, great, great dialogue. <laughs> All right. All right, David. All right. Thank, thanks for being with us. Bye-bye. Thank you, Brian. Well, I think if we think that Jesus is boring and following Christ is boring, we just don't understand what who he is and what he's up to. He's remaking all of creation and he's inviting us into the mix. It's such a grand narrative, such a big story that our life stories can fit into. And I, and I just want to say that I think our deepest desires, our deepest instincts, our deepest passions will be uncovered and unearthed as we quest after God in Christ, as we pursue this remaking of creation. Come alongside him, get yoked up with him, learn from him, pull with him in this world as we're yoked together. Thanks, friend, for rating, reviewing, and following the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and other major listening options. It helps others discover that content to see if it's a good fit for them. Plus, of course, when you subscribe, it keeps you, it keeps you connected great things are on the way. If you want to learn and get ahead faster, consider the Facebook group. It's a free online group. Just go to Facebook and search for Jesus Smart. It should pull it right up to the top. And there's links there to resources. You can submit questions. Uh, There's always something there to, to, I think, add some value into your life if you want to get smart in the Lord. Begin to apply and act on what you're learning. This helps us to get ahead faster and to learn more deeply. 
And another great thing we can do is begin to teach, which simply means to share. You can really lock it into your understanding as you begin to share what you're learning with others. It's actually a good idea in life to share and teach everything we know and everything we're discovering as we develop a real heart knowledge with the King, Jesus Christ. We love it when you leave a review on iTunes with your biggest takeaway for an episode or just a general review. Also, posting and sharing about the podcast on social media is a great help. Visit JesusSmart.com to see the show notes page for this specific episode. You can leave thoughts and questions there, comments, and you're going to find there some additional resources to dive deeper with this theme today of soul care. Plus, you can sign up to receive a free weekly email for next level ideas and practice to advance as a Christ follower. As always, with Jesus, our horizon is brilliant. Find your storyline in the royal narrative. Make it a smart week. All the best until next time.